Okay, you ready to hear some really dumb stuff, as usual, from Paul Tillich? Let's jump around a little bit today. We don't have too, too much time, unfortunately. I want to talk about Tillich and the Trinity. Because if somebody denies the Trinity, they are not a Christian. If somebody denies the Trinity, but they are a theologian, they are not a Christian theologian. And if somebody denies the Trinity, and they are a theologian in Christian seminaries with their theological textbooks being taught, that individual is evil and is teaching Christians to not be Christians. So let's see what Mr. Paul Tillich says about the Trinity. If God is the name for what concerns us ultimately, the principle of exclusive monotheism is established. There is no God besides God. But the Trinitarian symbolism includes a plurality of divine figures. This presents the alternative either of attributing to some of these divine figures a diminished divinity or of dropping the exclusive monotheism and with it the ultimacy of ultimate concern. The ultimacy of the ultimate concern is replaced by half-ultimate concerns and monotheism by quasi-divine powers as its expressions. This was the situation when the divinity of Christ became a problem of theological interpretation instead of remaining an act of liturgical devotion. The problem was unavoidable, not only because of the reception of the message of the Christ, by the Greek mind, but also because man cannot repress his cognitive function in dealing with the content of his religious devotion. Okay, Mr. Tillich here. This is from book three of his Systematic Theology, by the way. I had to skip around to find this. Uh, Mr. Tillich wants you to say, well, the truth of the Trinity is different from liturgical devotion. He thinks there should be a liturgical proclamation of the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one divinity. Uh, that's fine for creeds, but that doesn't necessarily establish the truth because uh, we don't want to take the ultimate concern, that is God, and then split him up into three persons. In fact, any assignment of personhood to God, whether one person or three, makes God one person among many, the same way he would say there are ontological problems with saying God exists, because then you make him into a being, and that creates the threatening of non-being because of the question, why is there a God when there could be no God, or a possibility of such. He literally tries to defeat the concept of personhood and existence of God because he can ask an ontological question. That's his logic. And yes, it is stupid. But when it comes to the Trinity, right, because Paul Tillich would tell you that he still believes in God, he's saying that, well, this would assign personhood to God, and there's a problem there. Let's keep reading. From the point of view of the Trinitarian doctrine, any non-symbolic interpretation of these symbols would introduce into the Logos a finite individuality with a particular 
life history conditioned by the categories of finitude. Certainly the Logos, the divine self-manifestation, has an eternal relation to his self-manifestation in the Christ as the center of man's historical existence, just as the Logos has an eternal relation to all potentialities of being. But one cannot attribute to the eternal Logos in himself the face of Jesus of Nazareth, or the face of historical man, or of any particular manifestation of the creative ground of being. But certainly the face of God manifest for historical man is the face of Jesus as the Christ. The Trinitarian manifestation of the divine ground is Christocentric for man, but it is not Jesus-centric in itself. The God who is seen and adored in Trinitarian symbolism has not lost his freedom to manifest himself for other worlds in other ways. No joke. Mr. Tillich says, If Jesus Christ is God in the Trinitarian sense that introduces finitude via personhood to the Logos, and if that is the case, then that creates a tension or a threat of non-being which threatens Tillich's doctrine of God as ground of all being. Therefore, the Trinity must remain as a symbolic speculation that remains as a devotional liturgical practice. In other words, the Christian pastor is supposed to pretend that the doctrine of the Trinity is true when running a church service because that's historically what we do, and this addresses some part of man's ultimate concern. But it's not, it's not real, because if you associate personhood with God, you've made him finite or something. This is not Christian. If you doubt me, here is his conclusion on the matter. We will get to more of it, but he says, The doctrine of the Trinity is not closed. It can be neither discarded nor accepted in its traditional form. It must be kept open in order to fulfill its original function, to express in embracing symbols of the self-manifestation of the divine life to man. In other words, we can't discard the doctrine of the Trinity we should neither accept it nor reject it. I guess we should keep it in our liturgies. It's still an open question. It's basically speculation. Now, he will admit that there's something about the Trinity that says we shouldn't just discard this. Like, okay, there's a lot of threes around. When he gets to, in book one, God as spirit and the Trinitarian principles, he says... Spirit is the unity of the ontological elements and the telos of life. Actualized as life, being itself is fulfilled as spirit. The word telos expresses the relation of life and spirit more precisely than the words aim or goal. It expresses the inner directedness of life towards spirit. The urge of life to become spirit and to fulfill itself as spirit. So he starts off by saying a whole lot of nothing in a section called God as Spirit in the Trinitarian Principles. I guess you could say, in summary, 
spirit means something, which means an aim, a telos, therefore spirit. That's what he's getting at. So when he brings up the Trinity again, he says, any discussion of the Christian doctrine of the Trinity must begin with the Christological assertion that Jesus is the Christ. The Christian doctrine of the Trinity is a corroboration of the Christological dogma. The situation is different if we do not ask the questions of the Christian doctrines, but rather the question of the presuppositions of these doctrines in an idea of God. Then we must speak about the Trinitarian principles, and we must begin with the Spirit rather than with the Logos. God is spirit, and any Trinitarian state must, must be derived from this basic assertion. And from there, he starts talking about the divine doctrine of the Logos and how, you know, it started with the Greeks, with Heraclitus and kind of Parmenides and everything, but you've got to talk about the Logos because you don't have a trinity without a Logos doctrine, etc. and so forth. So he talks about this historically from human philosophy and then later on he talks about how well okay the early church thought that jesus is god he is somehow divine people worship him in the new testament he's called the logos who was in the beginning with god in john chapter one he is divine but he's also distinct from god the father and the issue according to tillich is that the Christian church did not want to collapse into a Roman pagan system of half-gods. They didn't want Jesus demoted to the same level as Hercules or Perseus or some other half-divine demigod figure. So they created the doctrine of the Trinity after noticing a bunch of threes. And then we argued about the Trinity until the 6th century when it was finally cemented, and thus it persisted for about 1,200 years until uh, various cults came after the Reformation. You know, the Socinians, the Jehovah's Witnesses later on, they start questioning the Trinity and asserting it as not true. So Tillich throws up his hands and says, Well, we can't agree on this, I guess. But you know what? The scriptures seem to be teaching something about that. And if you start with the new man in Christ Jesus, if he's just some dude, some historical center, you're going to have a doctrine of the Trinity in a lot of churches. So let's just say it's a speculative doctrine, but keep it in our liturgies. Just keep it in the churches. Of course, his just so story assumes two things. One, man is the measure of all things. Whether or not the doctrine of the Trinity is correct is based on the history of mankind's apprehension of the Trinity. Whether we should believe it is based on whether mankind in his current quote-unquote situation finds it acceptable. Tillich said in his introductions that doctrines, more or less, are subject to the opinions of man. It doesn't matter whether or not they are true, so long as man considers them true. His second assumption is that the Christian church developed the dogma of the Trinity in response to other religions. We wanted to be special, 
We didn't want to be like other religions, not like Jenny over there and her paganism. And therefore, we just kind of defined the Trinity as a response to that threat. No, that's not how it happened, Paul. He has all these historical references so he can build this narrative about it, but he doesn't actually go to the sources. The Trinity is more or less assumed by the Apostolic Fathers. It's taught by the early Church Fathers. And then when Arius comes in and starts questioning it, it needs to be dogmatically defined so that all the churches are on the same page. To say, this is what the scriptures teach, this is what we believe. They spent so long at Nicaea demonstrating the truth of this on the basis of holy scripture and the long history in the church of people believing in the Trinity. They needed that too to demonstrate that this was not an innovation. They didn't just make it up. But Paul Tillich's argument against the Trinity is, A, I'm going to define God in such a way that Trinity goes against my definition of God. So that can't be true. And B, uh, I'm just going to say that you, you guys just made it up so you weren't like Jenny the Pagan in Rome, okay? That's the dumbest argument against the Trinity I've ever heard in my entire life. And I've heard some doozies. Joseph Smith's infamous sermon against the Trinity was that, well, God would be too big. Oh man, how, imagine how big of a God a Trinity would be. Like you got three dudes and then they're like put together like Siamese twins. He'd be just too stinking big. That was Joseph Smith's argument that he laid out before the Mormons. And that makes more sense than Paul Tillich. It's just a hair less dumb than what Paul Tillich is saying. I made up a God and your doctrine goes up against that God. So that can't be God to me. And I also happen to believe you just made this up because I have some ideas about history that I made up. It is just, I made this up. Therefore, the Trinity is something you should just pretend is true in the churches. Now that is the insidious part about it. Tillich's theology has been taught in seminaries. Christian seminaries. And he was teaching seminarians to disbelieve the Trinity, knocking down the doctrine, demoting it to the place of speculation. And then he taught them to lie to their parishioners about it. This is a man creating a system whereby you take Christians, put them in seminary, teach them to not be Christians anymore, and then tell them to lie to their congregations. Keep it in the liturgy. Maybe keep it in your preaching a little bit. If you've ever wondered why so many of these modernist, liberal churches seem like they're not Christian in the first place. They claim to be Christian, but it's just, it's not there. There's something off about it. It's like it's being run by non-Christians. Well, now you know. 
There was a whole system invented here to turn seminaries into faith-destroying meat grinders and thus capture denominations by filling the churches with non-believing ministers. All because they took a non-Christian theologian like Tillich and filled seminarians' heads with nonsense. Want to know why your churches suck? This is one of those big, fat reasons for it. But don't worry, maybe Tillich believed in the resurrection or something. Probably not. Let's go over that next week. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen. Mm-hmm.